0: If you'd like to turn to Micah, we're in chapter 6. We're mainly going to spend the month focusing on one verse, but we'll be looking at other parts of Micah and also the Bible. Uh, Let me pray again. Lord God, thank you for your word. Tonight we've been challenged by that little skit and by prayer and by your word and by the songs we've sung. And we invite you to challenge us some more. We're here because we want to come under your truth. We, we know we haven't got it all right, not as individuals or as a church. So we are here. Help us have ears that are ready to, to listen to your truth, to what the kingdom is all about. And I pray, pray that you would make manifest in me the prophetic gift, the teaching gift, the exhortation gifts that are required to do this task. In the name of Jesus. Amen. As a young adult, I used to do a bit of uh, street evangelism. To be honest, I haven't done much for a long time. Anyone else done some cold call sort of evangelism? It's great just to go up, talk to people on the street. You're led by the Spirit and you see what happens. Uh, What I used to do is I'd get chatting and um, basically, I was mainly doing it about 30 years ago, and I would often ask, do you believe in God? And the answer typically, typically was yes, yes. And so then I would ask, what do you think God requires of you? If he's real and there, what does he require? And uh, what do you think most people would say? To be good. That's what most people say that I spoke to. Um, and then I would say, a little bit, little bit cheeky, I'd say, are you good? And they'd say, what do you think? I'm better than them. <laughs> and her and him, look, I'm, I think I'm good enough, at least... There, I'm, I'm clambering on the top of them to get to heaven. And then I would say, oh, all right, okay, well, um, the Bible says that no one is good. That the standard for heaven is perfection. And their face would drop and sort of go, well, if that was true, no one's going to heaven, are they? Yeah. And we're working there towards truth. And I'd say, well, that's the problem. God is perfect and no one without perfection could be in his presence. That means no one's going to be with God. Therefore, God had to do something to fix the problem of sin. And we talk about Jesus. So that's why they call it good news. Someone who was perfect, lived a perfect life to die a perfect death in our place to take the wrath of God, the punishment that we deserve for our sin. And he's done that. And that's a quick gospel presentation on the street. But it's good news when you point out the fact that we we need someone to rescue us. So the point of sharing the gospel in that way is to try to point out what is required to get saved, to have a relationship with God, and that's faith in Jesus. So many of us in the room tonight and online are already walking with the Lord. So the question we're grappling with tonight is, what's required of us? What is required of you once you've received this gift of forgiveness, of salvation, of eternal life by faith? Well, someone asked Jesus that question and he said, Well, God needs you and wants you to love Him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And that's the truth. Before that, before Jesus said that, and he was quoting Deuteronomy, 750 years before, Jesus said what God required of humanity, a prophet named Micah was inspired by God to pronounce what the Lord required of his people. And that's our verse for the month, Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly With your God. This is what is required of us as followers of Jesus, as people who know God. Sometimes you can get caught out with requirements, can't you? You sign up for something and you sort of find out later, whoa, I didn't didn't realize that. Like you sign up for a job and you get into the job and then they tell you what's required. Anyone been through this? Anyone? Like, yeah, oh, I didn't actually realize that you wanted me to travel that much or do that much. Oh, Tell me what you require of me up front. Getting married is like that. You get married and you find out, whoa, there's some requirements of this covenantal promise that I've made that will demand something of me. Certainly when you have a child, you become parents, you're like, whoa, this is demanding something of me. Sleep deprivation is required. Energy and love and passion and commitment is required, and then the child grows up, becomes a teenager, and then it's their turn that we get to say to them, if you're going to live in my house, this is required of you. But we get it, don't we? There are requirements in life. The Lord requires from his people that we act justly. And this has got a whole lot to do with mission. Christians exist for the glory of God. And to take his glory... And the glory of his good news, his gospel, we exist to proclaim his fame to all the world. That's what is required of us. We are required in that gospel proclamation to act justly in a way that would affect all the world. Amen? It's a little bit overwhelming, isn't it? We're meant to be just. To the whole world. Some of us are like, could you bring that down to just tomorrow morning? You know, being a bit ethical. Yeah, it is about tomorrow morning in our personal lives, how we treat one another. But what we're hoping to sit in tonight is this massive call on the church to steward all of creation. Because that's where acting justly comes from. Some of us are reading through Genesis in 24 days, and we would have read Genesis 1, 27, only a few weeks ago. This idea of doing justice is directly linked to the Garden of Eden. Let me read from Genesis 1:27, and we should have the text there. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is the stewardship mandate. Look after this place. And it's where we get one of our core values. Life matters. All of life matters because God said it does. It's good and he made it and he put us in it, humans, to look after it. I I really appreciate Tom Wright, his... uh, academic theological name is N.T. Wright when he writes, uh, pardon the pun. Um, But he he talked about Genesis in the first six days of creation. And he said in the ancient Near East, the, the way of constructing temples involved various stages. He suggested there were six stages. And on the sixth stage... A group of people would build this temple, it'd be like a platform and typically some pillars and a top and bits and pieces and like an altar. But you put the image of the God, you know, like a Greco-Roman temple. It'll it'll be mainly to a particular God, and that figure, that icon, that image, that statue of that God is placed in there. And N.T. Wright says the creation story, and he doesn't suggest it's not a real telling of what God did with matter creating by his word, but he says, I think that there is a sense that the earth is God's temple and it's been made for his glory. And the last thing he did on that sixth stage was he put his image in the temple. But it wasn't a statue, I mean, God's spirit. And it wasn't a mirror so that he could go, Oh, look at me, I can see my image. What was the image? The the image bearer was man and woman and it was like an angled mirror. So that when people looked at humanity, they would see God. Creation looks at the image of God, looks at the image of creator and sees how good creator is. How good God is. God cares about justice and his image bearers need to let the world know that that is what he's like. God cares about justice and he wants his image bearers to administer that justice. Of course, if you read the the book of Genesis, you know that humans messed up and the image of God was marred very quickly in chapter 3. But Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died and rose again, so that by the Spirit, followers of Jesus, followers of God, could be re-clothed in a perfect righteousness that actually reflects what God is like. Amen? That, that's the Gospel. So it's all about being image bearers, image reflectors. Who are we responsible for? This stewardship mandate for the whole world is not just Genesis 1. It's also Genesis 12, which some of us have just read. Let me read from chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you, I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's people are blessed to be a blessing. That's why God looks after us the way he does. It's so that we can turn around and bless who? Every nation on earth. Every ethnos. Every family grouping. Every clan that says, we're different to you. He says, well, I see every clan. I see every people group. And I'm going to bless you all through the barren womb of Sarah The promise I give is worth it, you can bank it, and I'm going to bless this nation Israel who represents the people of God. And I'm going to bless you for a purpose, that you do good, that you reflect what I'm like to the whole world. So this requirement of acting justly, of doing justice, comes directly from the stewardship mandate of Genesis 1. And it comes from the blessed to be a blessing mandate of Genesis 12 good pedigree, right? Have you noticed that in the 21st century, it's quite hard to do justice? Think about even the word justice. Does anyone feel something prickle when I say justice? Yeah, you go, where are you coming from? How left are you? How right are you? Right? (laughs) There's a tragedy. As I thought about this, I thought, it's like... (laughs) the the name of the Holy Spirit in the 80s. Some churches were like, oh, the Holy Spirit, that's that spooky part of God. We're not into that. I mean, come on. How can you not be into the Spirit of God? He's the promise of the Father. And justice is like that. It's terrible that you say justice and the church goes, where, where are you coming from? I think that the evil one has set some trip switches in our thinking. And something that we should stand up for, people that we should be voices for, we start hearing about it and then it comes in and we hear a buzzword and the trip switch goes, I don't have to think about you because you belong over there. And that's wrong. That's wrong. It's it's not biblical. These circuit breakers... I think to do just as well as a church, and we'll get to that in a minute, I think we need to come up with our own um, bunch of buzzwords. And I think circuit breaker is a good one. I think we should say as you're talking about something and someone changes... um, An example is this. Black lives matter. White lives matter too. They do. Let's talk about white lives in deaths in custody in a minute. We'll talk about black lives now. Don't circuit break this issue... And I'm not trying to make a big deal about that, but pick an issue and it's so easy to go, oh, it's nuanced, it's very complex. Great, I'm going home. Thank you for that, circuit breaker. But we want to go, no, 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 sit in it. What does God think about that issue? So we've got a whole range of issues that are worth listening to and thinking about and finding out information about, about gender, justice. You'd have to be living under a rock if you didn't know this. Issues with gender equality that are saying, hey, what's going on? We need to do something about this. It's not fair. Race, age, all sorts of minority group marginalisation. There are issues of injustice caused by global crime in human trafficking, and they are complex. Illegal drugs, pornography, the industry of that, weapons distribution, war, displacement of communities as refugees... Today we talked, uh, heard about Richard talk about gambling. Some of these are accepted as legitimate and others we sort of go, oh, that's not legitimate. And I feel like we need to come under biblical light and as a community go, are we hiding in those circuit breakers or are we allowing the weight of that skit? I thought that was a cool skit, like, well written and well acted, you guys. It was just like, boom, no, you think this is a funny joke you know morning show no, i 'm a prophet of God, and you need to listen to this. We, we need some of that, don 't we? The Bible 's doing that to us all the time. if you don 't have a liquid paper pot to, to wipe stuff out Micah six eight he has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. Now this justice concept in the Bible is very closely linked to righteousness. So you hear justice in the Bible, righteousness, righteousness, justice. And righteousness is about right relationship between God and humanity. And right relationships between people and us and the planet. That's what righteousness is. That's why Jesus was righteous. All his relationships were right. Every human being has dignity. That's what righteousness says. If I'm in a correct relationship with another human being, they will pick up from me that I believe they have dignity. Amen? To be unrighteous is for them to not feel like I value them. I'm not talking about just like holiness that honours God the way Jesus did when you hear righteousness. I know there's only one who is righteous, But there's a concept of righteousness in the Bible that is linked to justice, and it's got a lot to do with how we treat people. It's quite shocking when you read the Bible, as I keep on saying with Genesis. I'm reading away, and I come to Genesis 16, and I know this series is coming up about Required, and uh, I'm writing these podcasts, so I'm always looking for little nuances that that are interesting. And I see um, Sarah talking about her slave, Hagar. they're going to oh, wait on, we're only 16 chapters in. How did that become normal? Now I get it, I get it. It's, a, it's an economy of the ancient Near East that some are working for others and you might argue with a trip switch. They're not slaves. They're just like a a worker who's working for their wages. But you watch it, you read it like... Sarah does not treat her like she's an employee, right? It's like slave and owner. Isn't that sad? Does anyone feel that? It's like polygamy. You read in the Bible, and says, where did that come from? Just there. We're not meant to have slaves that we treat as less than us. They say in Africa, right, there's a, a third of the people pay, a third of the people to protect the rich third from the third that want to take from them. Does that make any sense? (laughs) That's what I was told told by many people in Africa. There's a whole massive industry about security. So there's a third of wealthy people that say, we'll pay you to be our servants to protect us from those third over there that we don't want to go near. Humanity has the capacity to build these systems where slavery seems normal But it's not right. And there it is, right there in Genesis. It's not the way it's meant to be. So act justly. Biblical justice involves a couple of things. One is retributive justice. And so that's punishment. We're not typically doing so much of that. God does that. Some people do it. Police, governments, authorities do it under God. What we're more involved with is restorative justice. There's retributive justice and there's restorative justice. What does restorative justice involve that we're called to be part of? Like some of the verses we're going to see in a minute, um, involves using our mouths to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Advocacy. Restorative justice involves changing the social structures that make it okay for some to be down there, powerless, and others to be up here, super powerful. Somehow we have to change that. And those structures, they are complex. It involves on a micro level me being willing to be a bit self-sacrificial in how I live my life. I mean, justice has got a lot to do with a picnic, I reckon. You go for a picnic with 10 people and there's a whole stack of ham there for your sandwiches. If the first person comes in and takes all the ham, it's just unfair, isn't it? If you get nothing else out of today, don't be the ham hog. (laughs) But that's what it's like. Someone comes in and goes, "Oh, thanks for that. There's 10 pieces. Oh, I could probably fit 10 on my sandwich. And everyone else is like, what's going on? But that's the world. That's what injustice looks like. Micah 6.8 is located towards the end of Micah's prophecies. So... Micah lived in the 8th century BC, about 740 to 690 BC, just before Micah was Amos. If you go and read it, Amos is both guns blazing, sawn off shotguns. He doesn't have a lot good to say. Micah does talk about God's grace in there. So if you want to see like a slightly softer version of Amos, have a read of Micah. Both prophets said to Israel in the north. The ten tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south, Benjamin and Judah were in the south and they had Jerusalem. Both tribes, both parts of Israel were told, You're going to get punished. You're going to get punished. What happened was God's justice came on Israel in the north first. A hundred years later, approximately, it came on the south. So Micah is part of God's speaking to his people saying, I've had enough. Judgment's coming. The Assyrians are going to rout the north. The Babylonians are going to rout the south. What's really interesting is why God says they're going to get judged. Number one, the obvious thing, you have worshipped other gods, idolatry. You've got phallic symbols for fertility of your land, Asherah poles, Canaanite Baal worship is everywhere. I'm judging you because you will not listen to my prophets. You won't repent. But the big second thing is fascinating. Micah says, you know, the main reason apart from idolatry, you don't treat people justly. And I'm wiping you out for it. I just find that there's no circuit breaker in there. It's really heavy. You read the 8th century prophets. And time and time again, there's this sense that God is saying, I see the way you treated them. the, the, The interest you charged on that land was... Obscene, it was unjust, and I see it. You have disrespected me as the, the God that you image bear, the image of. I'm going to judge you. I find that really interesting. God cares about justice, His heart is for justice. So consider some of these Old Testament passages. I'll work with Alex and just read them out quickly Psalm 146, 7 to 9. So see if you can find the circuit breaker to hide. Under these, I still feel just slammed by them. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. Psalm 68 Sing to God. Sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him, his name is the Lord. What's he like this God that's way up in the clouds? He's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families, he leads out the prisoners with singing. Deuteronomy two is full on. Cursed is anyone who upholds withholds justice from the foreigner. It's not like interesting, isn't it? The fatherless or the widow, then all the people shall say, Amen. May it be so. Pronounce the curse over us. Keep us accountable about what you require of our lives. Wow. Jeremiah 22.3. Um, Hannah read it out for us. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. I feel so challenged by this because in conversations, I sort of go, oh, I've never been so gifted and passionate about the justice piece. I'm not like a teacher, worship, leadership, you know, church health. I sort of feel this and think, oh, I don't think you can squirm out of this as though it's not my, got my gifting. If, if you can squirm out, you can't as a church. Right? This lands squarely on Northern Life Baptist Church. Individuals, fair enough. You could probably go, oh, not quite in that. Doesn't mean that we don't have to grapple with it. Micah 6 8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. You know, when I try to reflect on this and think, really, God, what are you saying? What is required of us in northern life? I look at this church and I think, you can't take for granted that four or five years ago this was a dilapidated, falling down, red brick building that, and the church was coming into decline if we weren't already there. Like, and God breathed on it with a lot of work and the right people and the right circumstances. I think we all just go, man, this is pretty cool. I mean, church is not about the building, but the shiny object on the corner. I'd pick it any day over nothing. Wouldn't you? Like, we're sitting on about $14 million of resource. I wonder why God gave us that. I've got some ideas. He didn't have to provide us with generous, kingdom-minded, resource-rich members. But he has. We could be a bunch of stingy people. But I've watched people respond. I will be shocked if we don't reach that $20,000 target. I'll just be shocked. Because we have people who are actually given a lot of blessing. Some of our members that are here are poor and we can't contribute that much money and that's okay. But I reckon we're a pretty wealthy church in the world. So the question is, why is that? Forgive me if this sounds proud, but I'm trying to just do the maths. Leanne and I were at a church for 20 years and we saw it grow significantly. So we saw the leverage that God can give a smaller group of people turning into a larger group of people with a kingdom heart. So no one can take that out of me. So when I come here, I'm like, well, it's not good enough for us just to muddle along. We've been given too much. My expectation is not because I'm great, but because we are great. We are a suburban North Shore church with resources and gospel to the, coming out our ears. Amen. So all I'm saying is, we should expect that God is giving us this to leverage what we've got to move some big things, break some big chains, so that we could get out of the way. Go, well, it's not in our name; it's in your name, Jesus. We're little mirrors that reflect what God is like. So when I get excited about this stuff, don't think, oh, he just wants a big church or something. I don't care if it's big or small. I just want to be part of something that's having a go. Like, look around, do the maths. Are we a large church or a small little church? No, no, we are a church that God wants to do something with. When I look at our community, it thrills me that we are filled with people who have already experienced marginalisation. Not so much tonight, but I look around in the morning. We have so many different diverse racial backgrounds. This is God's kingdom heart. We already have it. We're not the church that I used to be in, the Southern Shire. just white everywhere, white faces, Anglo. It's a harder thing to go, come on, let's go with a heart for, for the world. So lots of good talk about. Um, we, um, if you looked at a, a little snapshot of a graph of our growth and kingdom impact I think, honestly, our church, Northern Life, is going like that. Sometimes it goes like that. We don't know what next, tomorrow's going to do. We're going to have some crash of disunity. and Who knows? Tomorrow's God's business. But if you took a snapshot of our church now, it's heading in the right direction of unity, of um, gospel focus. We're reading the Bible together. We're, we're loving each other. We're giving that's why I think it's actually a really exciting time for us to realise that picture that I put up about the justice stuff, that's pretty good, but we can do more. And I reckon this is a time that the cement is wet. This is a time when we, there is some plasticine in our hands and we're saying, God, what do you want us to do when it comes to justice? Justice. My hope and prayer is that in these coming months, we will look back on this time and say, we sought the Lord. We we could have done a million things or maybe a hundred, but he told us to do a few and we did them. So that's what it's all about. Seeking the Lord. What, What is required of us for this season? What is it? What are you wanting us to do when it comes to justice? And we've talked a lot last year about our Jerusalem and we've done a lot of work. With led by Virginia and a lot of people thinking, what are we meant to do to reach our community here? And we're doing some great stuff. But when it comes to the big four of the Old Testament, they are very clear. God says, I'm interested in how you treat the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the refugee. There are other people who are in need, absolutely. But I feel like if I'm part of leading a church, I want to be able to make it very clear in four years, five years' time, if the Lord tarries and doesn't return yet, Thank you Lord for all that you've given us. We did we tried to do this for the poor and we tried to do this for the refugee and this for the widow and this for the or, for the um for the widow. Are you with me? Like because we want to do what we're required to do, which is acting justly. And there's something living in where we live that puts trip switches everywhere so that we just don't feel the pain, the injustice. We're maybe no different to those people all those years ago that got it wrong, started worshipping the wrong things and not treating people the way that we should treat them. God has a way of taking willing, available people and uh, redirecting them. So this is a, a story goes for five minutes, of a good friend of ours, Michelle, and um, she may be watching online, she was this morning, but uh, yeah, it's about justice, and there's no way on earth I could have (laughs) read this out, that's why I filmed myself, after blubbering for an hour, because I'm I'm close to this story for the last five years, Um, so this is why it's on video, so please listen to this uh, video, watch this video. In 1996, I met a person named Michelle through my job as a pastor at Caring Bar Baptist Church. She was studying early childhood at the time. She was also passionate about Girls' Brigade. Michelle ended up becoming our Church Girls' Brigade captain. She used to always say the great thing about Girls' Brigade was that wearing a uniform put all the girls on the same level, rich or poor, it didn't matter. Michelle came to Kenya on a mission trip with me and then she went to Mexico and back to Africa in Mozambique for a year and finally after many trips to Rwanda, contributing to the educational rebuild of the nation after the genocide, she felt led to commit to two years as a missionary, actually writing a curriculum to train early childhood teachers. So here she is, a single woman by now in her 40s, involved in justice work for the country of Rwanda. What Michelle didn't know was that God had a job for her to do that would involve her advocating not for a generation of children, but for the rights of just one little girl named Flora. Michelle left Australia to become a missionary in Rwanda August of 2015, literally just when we started the Shankses at Hornsby Baptist. Now, the dates are important, so try to keep track. A couple of months later, in November 2015, a baby named Flora was born. Nineteen days later, on December the 9th, her birth mother died from an infected cesarean scar. On the 9th of December, Michelle held Flora for the first time and cried for three days as she felt God calling her to care for this baby. January 5th, 2016, with Flora's father unable to care for her, she moved in to be cared for by Michelle. Over some months, under the guidance of a God-provided Rwandan lawyer, Flora was... Locally adopted by Michelle in October 2016. In December 2016, they went to immigration to apply for a passport, only to find that this would not be possible. A letter was required from the National Commission for Children's Rights, but the letter needed to be signed by a Rwandan parent. Of course, this was impossible, since Flora's birth father had now been deported to Burundi and her mum had passed away after the birth. An inter-country adoption was all that was left. This could take 10 years and cost upwards of $30,000. Flora was stateless, denied a passport in her country of birth and denied a passport in her adoptive mother's native land, Australia. But our God hears the cry of the orphan, the poor and the refugee. And he had prearranged a mother to come from Australia to not only love this little girl, this human being with immense dignity, but also to advocate for her human rights. In other words, to do justice. Over the next four years, yes, don't miss that, four years with the God-appointed help of Philip Ruddock and Michelle's local member and current Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, on March 31st this year, 2021, Isabeo Flora became the first Rwandan child to be accepted as an inter-country adoption in Australia. The battle is not completely over, but it is ever so close. The process of engagement in this fight for justice began with a woman holding a child for three days straight. Justice is about being touched by the plight of the poor, the widow, the orphan, the refugee. Michelle is in Rwanda now and most weeks joins us with Flora online as part of our church family. I hope Michelle is watching this now. Bearing the image of God in God's world will demand from us everything we have to give, but it's worth it. Because this is the ministry the Lord Jesus is doing all the time. He is seeking and saving lost people, and He's doing justice. So um, has God given you um, your version of a a child that you're holding now and and he's changing your heart and you're finding out and from that place of getting down up from here, down to that level, you start to get changed. So I wonder what God is doing in our community as individuals. And what I'm really interested in is, what is he saying to us corporately as a church? There are always extra comments that can be made. And it's interesting, like, um, Michelle didn't go there to to do an inter-country adoption at all. Um, and, And you might be one of those people that say, oh, it's not right, you shouldn't do it. Well, three of her siblings have died. That's the reality. And her father out of the blue, was deported to Burundi. They don't know where he is. He's stateless. So I am really confident that that was God. that' God pulling together people, because he loves He loves people who don't have a voice. But it's exciting to think, well, would we be allowed to pray that God you give us testimonies that we can celebrate in years to come? And then we look back and we go, oh, we couldn't tell, we, you know, it was a mess. And, but now we can see, oh, it was so obvious God led us there and he did this because he's the one doing the work, amen? amen? He's the father to the fatherless. He's the one who's far more passionate than anyone in this room to speak for the one who doesn't have a voice. Unfortunately, he doesn't tend to do it in a hurry. He asks us to engage and then learn from this process. So that's the invitation. We have uh, 12 core values and two of them speak into this very clearly. Life matters and find out, help out. I wonder where God is leading us as a church and what your role is. I think uh, the challenge is to, to listen, to listen. The prayer warriors amongst us, I hope you hear the call. Intercede. Pray. Let's seek the Lord together and say, what do you want us to do? He has shown you, O mortal. He has shown you, Northern Life Baptist Church, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Let's do justice together. Amen.